Welcome back into the book room. My name is John Deegan. So in the last episode, I took you into a ballroom for an award ceremony. Today, we have another fancy room for you. I'm taking you with me into the Parliament of Canada for a short discussion about the state of writing and publishing in my country and a specific problem that has plagued the work of authors in Canada for the last six, coming up on seven years now. Free copying of massive amounts of published work by schools, colleges, and universities. Now we all love our books. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't a lover of literature and books, and we certainly all love and respect the work of education and educators. Authors especially love educators and see them as our partners in the creation and growth of culture. Which is why it's been so painful to be a Canadian author for the last little while. A change to Canada's laws in 2012 has pitted Canada's educational budget cutters against this country's cultural workers. Cuts to education in Canadian provinces are no joke and they're increasingly in the news. Well, those looking to save money on educational spending in Canada have put a target on books and on the livelihoods of those who make our books. Since 2012, the Canadian educational sector has copied, at a minimum, 600 million pages of published work per year, mostly from books and without asking permission for it and without paying authors or publishers for it. You can bet this has had a devastating effect on Canadian publishing and, most importantly, on the writer's whose hard, underpaid work creates the books being copied. You'll hear in today's episode a shocking number quoted, the average earnings of a Canadian author today, which is currently less than $10,000 a year. I don't like saying that number out loud or hearing those numbers referenced at all. That number makes authorship seem impossible as a profession, and I know that to be untrue. Authorship is not impossible, but under current conditions, it is certainly a little bit of a magic trick for the vast majority of writers. People do make a living from writing books. Some people make an excellent living. We all know the names of those people and we celebrate them. The market celebrates them, and with good reason. But the gap between those who can make a living at this business and those who can't is becoming a chasm. And what is widening and deepening that chasm is the persistent, pernicious devaluing of published work by those who demand to get it and to use it in their industrial interests for free. Now, importantly, I'm not talking about someone going to a library and borrowing a book for free. I'm not talking about a student photocopying a section from a book for their own private study or to gather as research for an essay. Those are free uses the writing world respects, accepts, and honors. I know an awful lot of authors, and they are without question the most generous population of professionals I know. We want students and teachers to be able to access our work. What I'm talking about instead is organized industrial scale copying from published books in order to create course collections that students are required to read. That use has always required permission and payment. It continues to require permission and payment. But since 2012, Canadian authors have not been asked for permission for this use, and neither have we been paid. So this past year, the Parliament of Canada held hearings, a bunch of hearings, at two different parliamentary committees. Come with me now into the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage. On a very cold Ottawa day in late November, Eric N. Tam, author of celebrated nonfiction books Beyond the Outer Shores and The Horse That Leaps Through Clouds, testifies before Canada's lawmakers. 
Eric is the current chair of the Writers' Union of Canada. He and I collaborated on the writing of his initial testimony, and I was sitting right beside him when he presented, watching the effect of his words on those charged with solving Canada's copying crisis. It's a fun challenge to write committee presentations. Hearings like this have strict time limits, and generally you're given no more than six or seven minutes to say everything you need to say. The testimony's recorded and often televised, so the pressure's on. You then have to field questions from the committee members, which of course is an experience that carries its own anxieties. I think Eric did an amazing job. I've included one question from the committee to give you a good idea of just how impactful Eric's talk was. A member of Parliament from Edmonton, Alberta, Mr. Randy Boissonneau, had a few observations about the current state of educational copying in Canada, and he asks Eric a key question. The other voice you will hear in this short excerpt is that of Toronto Member of Parliament Julie DeBrugin, who is the chair of the Heritage Committee. Good morning, and thanks for the invitation to present on behalf of the Writers' Union of Canada. Our organization represents 2,100 professional authors across the country, and we chair the International Authors Forum with over 700,000 members globally. Copyright is core to how we, as creators, earn a living. Erode copyright, and you'll erode the incomes to writers. It's that simple. Earning a living as a writer is difficult at the best of times. It's been immeasurably more difficult in the past decade as we've seen sweeping digital disruption across the creative industries. We hear that content is king in the digital age, but the creators of that content are being paid and treated like serfs. In 2012, Canada's authors and publishers were asked by Parliament to trust and respect a new understanding, a new model around educational copying and fair dealing. What followed was anything but fair for writers. It's been a disaster, and our members have felt it firsthand. Our recent survey of Canadian authors received almost 1,500 responses, and here's what they said. Authors have suffered a 27% decline in incomes in the past three years alone. Compared to 20 years ago, we've seen our real incomes decline by 78%. The average net income from writing is only $9,400. Even worse, income from educational copyright royalties has declined on average by 42% in five years, a result of the illegal free copying of the education sector. In 2012, as Parliament was reforming the Copyright Act, Writers knew that we face a difficult road ahead. No surprise, we've been adapting. More of our member authors are self-publishing, and the Writers' Union has been delivering professional development workshops on self-publishing, book promotion, publicity. Many authors are embracing entrepreneurship, yet writers are now expected to do more for less, or even worse, for nothing. As our publishing partners can confirm, Producing content isn't free. Researching, writing, rewriting, editing, graphic design, layout, distribution, these all cost money. Yet authors are now expected to work for free for the benefit of the education sector. In fact, with recent proposed changes to the Copyright Board, our serfdom has been confirmed. The reality for Canada's writers is that the Copyright Board is toothless. We work for it but it doesn't work for us. We put in the time and effort to get tariffs approved, and when they are approved, 
The education sector simply ignores them. We have asked for statutory damages for our tariffs to encourage compliance by the educational institutions. But the government has declined to make that simple change. We are discouraged and disappointed by that decision. Perhaps we should look to the Europeans on how to balance copyright, privacy, and online content in the digital age. The European Parliament recently passed a directive laying out rules for how content is to be protected and paid for by giant tech platforms that have long avoided regulation. The directives require platforms and aggregators online to pay licenses for the use of content snippets. As well, the directive imposes greater responsibility on the platforms for lawful sharing of content online, a measure that should help in the fight against content piracy and provide a new licensing opportunity to authors for the use of their work online. The Europeans are disrupting the disruptors and telling Silicon Valley that a business model built on others' free labor is unacceptable. Another disruption from the tech sector itself could also prove valuable to creators. There's increasing talk that a new decentralized technology could allow creators to circumvent centralized platforms and connect directly to readers. The technology called a distributed ledger or blockchain has been around for decades and has become famous recently for powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Blockchain could now disrupt books. How does the technology work? Well, the platforms of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google are essentially gargantuan centralized relational databases. They are intermediaries controlling our relationship to readers and facilitating sales transactions. Distributed ledger technology, in contrast, has no centralized authority controlling a database. Instead, transactions are stored on immutable ledgers which are replicated on many computers across a peer-to-peer network. Since the ledger actually exists in many places, it's really hard to hack. So transactions can be bundled into what they call digital blocks on a chain, giving the technology its name blockchain. So for a book, these transaction blocks could be for the authorship, publishing, distribution, and ultimately the reader's purchase. The technology could have several applications for authors. It could guarantee attribution of a digital work to an author or rights holder. Through smart contracts, it could distribute and authenticate copyrighted material to readers. And via a digital wallet, it could automatically distribute royalties directly and immediately back to authors. So a number of tech startups are already using the technology to distribute content and reward creators. Access Copyright launched its own startup, Prishian Innovations Lab, to build and test blockchain technology that is creator-focused. The Writers' Union supports Access Copyright in this pioneering work. The Writers' Union of Canada is committed to innovation and empowering our members to adopt new technology, new skills, and new business models to survive. Given the sorry state of our earnings, we have little to lose and a lot to gain. There is something possibly promising in the new technology on the horizon to help us develop new innovative remuneration models. However, stronger copyright is key. Fair dealing needs to be fair, not free for educators. And we need a copyright board that's more than a paper tiger. Significant statutory damages will give the copyright board some teeth in dealing with those who refuse to pay their tariffs. 
If we value culture, then we must value the work of those who produce it. The Writers' Union will submit a brief detailing the ideas I've discussed, and we're happy to take questions. Thank you. And on that note, I am now going to Mr. Boissonneau, please, for seven minutes. Thanks, Madam Chair. I wish I had 17. Um, hmm. I've only been here for three years, and this may be one of the rare times where uh, the Liberals, the New Democrats, and the Conservatives are finding some sort of consensus on the matter. What has happened is the government, copyright, and authors got into what has turned out to be a Faustian bargain with a sector of the economy that I respect greatly. And the deal that was made in 2012 has not been respected by universities. And so why would you choose to pay lawyers and go to court and not just pay authors? It seems like we've chosen the authors to run the bus over, and then by going to court, it's like driving the bus over them again, and that's not fair. And so, Mr. Tam, I want to know where is the balance of power in the author uh, versus payment versus universities, publishers? Who's got the power? Who's the dog and who's the tail? Well, you know, we we're definitely uh, we're definitely not the empowered ones on the author side. To to answer that question about why would you litigate? Like, why would you litigate, especially when the courts and the courts are very clear? Well, the reason is our advocate is really access copyright. It collects the royalties. It actually has cash. We're the Writers Union of Canada. You know, we're a leading Canadian arts organization, but we don't have deep pockets. So access copyright is really our advocate, meaning they actually pay our advocate in court. And I believe the education sector is out to drain access copyright and kill it off. And once access copyright's killed off, we've lost our advocate to fight against the universities. It's very clear from my point of view is that it's just a, it's just a, it's a game of time and litigation. They can drag this out in the courts even longer and longer, have reduced payments into access copyrights. Uh, the game plan, from my perspective, is clear. Thank you very much. This is the first time we've heard that argument that clearly, so thank you for your passion. That brings us to the end with this panel, but uh, we will be continuing the discussion with our second panel. The hearings around copyright ended in December. Canada's authors await reports and recommendations to Parliament about how this awful situation for authors can be corrected. Thanks to the Parliament of Canada for access to this recording. Thanks, of course, to Erica and Otam for his passionate advocacy on behalf of Canada's authors and to all the committee members who heard us out. And thanks to you for listening. You can access this podcast on either SoundCloud, Radio Public, Stitcher, the Apple Podcasts app, or the Google Podcast app. You can find individual episodes through my own website at jkdeegan.com and at bookroompod on Twitter. If you have suggestions for stories I might want to cover, you can reach out to me on Twitter or by email at bookroom14 at yahoo.com. We'll talk again soon.